God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to, to, to dive into your word and to be challenged, Lord, and to be encouraged. And I'm so glad, Lord, this ancient text gets to be studied right now and that we get to take it in and we could have throw ourselves in Habakkuk's world one more night. And hopefully we can see some parallels to our own time. And as we see Habakkuk's faith against all odds, that would encourage us to have that same kind of faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We are in Habakkuk chapter 3. Ah, I got a text in. Do we get to, oh, I got to mute everybody. What's my problem? Okay. Everybody say hi. There we go. We're gonna hi. Mute. There we go. Hi. All right. God bless you. I'm going to mute you. I missed. Hi. Hi. There you go. Sneak it in. Boom. Okay. There we go. No hard feelings the way it is. I forgot to do it. Okay. A text came in, uh, Aaron, thanks. Did this make me get to sing tonight? I, I mentioned this is about our music. Habakkuk is, um, he, he, he is a musician that plays stringed instruments. Well, we see that, you'll see that in the very final verse of our text. Um, he is, he was uh, someone who used musical terms. And that is one of those in the Hebrew, especially in the Psalms, if you see Selah, S-E-L-A-H, that most likely was a poetic or musical term. And the best translation we can find for that is just pause, pause and reflect. Just kind of just, just hit the pause button and just, okay, think what was just said. And so that was most likely something you, because they, they didn't just speak the words, they sung the words. And you've got um, these lines in the text where they tell you where to, where to sing and you go up and then you go down. And it was one of my fun parts of Hebrew class that it was the one class we did where they brought out the, the Masoretic text and said, okay, let's practice singing this or canting it. So a, a synagogue has a, has a rabbi and a cantor. A cantor is the one who sings the text. And so we got to practice using the little squiggles on the page that you don't really pay attention to to translate. We got to practice singing the text and, and using our, you know, going up and going down. It's kind of like how, how is the way it works. There's things going on here. And the very first verse has something like that. And so Habakkuk's a musician and you can imagine here, so we have, you can imagine him using this with, um, well, in fact, that's what musicians do. There's a reason why some of you may struggle with your memory verses from your Bible, but you can remember lyrics to songs from your childhood. Some of you can remember lyrics to the songs from the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s. You know all those lyrics all day long. There's a reason about that. When things are sung, you remember it. For some reason, it sticks in your mind. So one of the things we're going to have on the back, the back burner of our minds tonight is Habakkuk is not only a prophet, he's a musician. And so he's putting things to music. He's putting words to song in this text because this is his last chance to communicate to his congregation. Words that are going to stick with them for the next 70 years as they're in Babylonian captivity. Now, a quick word about hope. We're going to be talking about hope tonight. Just remember, Habakkuk has had all of his questions answered. God is not going to change his mind. So as Habakkuk is dealing with life right here, he's dealing with the reality of Judah is crispy critters. They're going to be knocked to the ground and carted off into slavery, and they're going to be taken to Babylon. Some of them killed, some of them taken away, and they're, they're just going to be there. And all they're going to have is, a, is just a trust in God. That's it. But is that enough? Is just having that enough? 
can you keep going when all you have is that? That's why Habakkuk sings. He's going to be singing a song of faith tonight in our text that is meant to, to, to resonate in the breast of his countrymen for 70 years. That's what a good song does. So we have a chorus. He starts off with a chorus. Then we have a verse, a verse. So you can imagine going back and you see, you know, we've all sang, sung songs where you, you sing the verse, you sing the chorus, you sing the next verse, you sing the, the chorus again, you keep going. Okay. And then I, I remember I, I went through a songwriting phase kind of when I taught myself to play the guitar. I actually had to teach myself twice. I taught myself once and then my MS came and just kicked my butt, took away my left hand. And I just really got numb. And I, I remember praying to God, God, um, if you give me my hand back, I, I want to learn to play. I want to play guitar, God. If you give me my hand back, I'll play till, till I get calluses, till they bleed. It's like, I'll, I want to do this so bad. You know, and eventually my hand came back and I'm still numb, but, but okay. But I, I can function. And I, I went through this songwriting phase. And I just kind of stood and started putting some of my prayers to music. And as my songs got better, they, they took this phase. They went A, B, or as I, I want to use letters. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus verse, chorus, bridge, and then chorus. And you'll notice a lot of songs have that same pattern. Maybe some smaller verses, but verse and a chorus and a bridge. And we're going to see that tonight. And the bridge of Habakkuk's song is one of the finest verses in all the Bible. It is the best. That's 16 and 19 tonight. So sneak peek, it's awesome. And it is one of the best statements of faith in the Old Testament, if not the Bible. Okay, so let's begin here. Uh, verse one, we have the artist, or some people who are who are people who are musicians. They go, oh, "Don't call me a musician. Call me an artist. Whatever." But there you go. Here's the artist. Verse one, a prayer of Habakkuk. Remember, Habakkuk means hug, like an embrace. The prophet, and then he's got this really weird word here. It's, it's a musical term that we don't really know what's going on here. On shigianot, and. That occurs one other time in the Bible. It's in Psalm 7-1, a shigion of David. And shiganot is, a, the ot is plural, so it's the shigion that's of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush of Benjamite. So David was a musician as well. And so David had his own shigionot. And so, so does Habakkuk here. And that's just who we got here. Now, here's the chorus. This chorus is good. This chorus would have been repeated, kind of like you sing in your old hymnals, you know, like, you, let's, say, let's take the hymn, I don't know, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So you've got, you know, all the verses, and after every, every verse, great is thy faithfulness, and then pardon for sin and a peace. Okay, great is, you go to the refrain every single time. And so this would have been repeated, just like any other refrain. So it's right front and center. The most important thing about this song is the refrain. And so here it is. This is uh, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. It could also mean renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Oh, man, there's a great praise song. That's Habakkuk chapter 3. It's like, um, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your wonderful deeds, O oh Lord. Renew them in our day. Really good. Check it out sometime. But it is just a stellar reminder, but this is where Habakkuk is. I have heard. I stand in awe. 
please and there's an element of please there. You can't command the Lord to do things. So that when you're praying, it's like there, there's an element of, okay, God, you know, renew them on our day. You're not telling God to do it. You're, you're, you're asking him. You're pleading with him. Please renew, repeat and renew. And please remember, I have heard and I stand in awe. You know, when people say awesome, they forget the, the, the base of that word is awe. It's like, I'm awed. This is reverence times two. It's like, it's just complete and abject awe. And wow. And there's just reverence, respect, holiness, worship. Yeah. I have heard, I stand in awe, so renew them in our day. And in your wrath, remember mercy. You see, the wrath is going to be assumed. The greatest display of God's wrath, by the way, it's also the greatest display of injustice of all time was the cross. And this is your free theological lesson I wasn't planning on. The, the only person in history who could truly say he's gone through injustice is Jesus, who literally did no wrong and yet experienced the full wrath of God on the cross. He literally did nothing wrong. So nothing, he deserved none of it. That was injustice. But he took that in our place so that my righteousness my unrighteousness, rather, could go on to him, and his righteousness could go on to me. That's not fair, but that's how God loves you, and that's how God loves me. I have heard, I stand in awe, renew them in our day, and your wrath, remember mercy. God's wrath is certain. That's what we're saved from. Any of you who are like, well, I'm saved, you're saved from God's wrath, that God's wrath has to come upon you because yeah, you're a sinner and you are deserving of God's wrath. And it's like payment that must be paid. And there it is. Yeah. And in your wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Could you remember mercy, Lord? Mercy is great too, Lord. Yeah. In God's wrath, he remembered mercy. And that's why you and I are still here. Because the wages of sin is death. And we've all sinned and fallen short. Yeah, Mick texted in, awe leaves one silent. Yeah. Like that ending in, in, in chapter 2, verse 20. Amen. So the past in the blue texture, the past, the present, and the future are all part of God's prayer, Habakkuk's prayer. In fact, I, the last time I was home, I was visiting my, 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 my kid brother. We like to play board games now. And he's got this, uh, this Back to the Future board game. And you've got, uh, you've got like, you're, you're all Marty McFly. Okay. You've got like the 1955 one, you've got the 1985 one, you've got the 2015 one, you've got all these in the 1885, you've got all these Marty McFly's you can be, you've got to choose one. And then you got to go to different, different timelines and do these things. That came to mind when I was thinking about prayer, because that's prayer. When you pray, it's like past you or the you from the past, what you've experienced in your past, what you were experiencing in your present and the future you, one that one day you're praying for this. All three of those people are present in Habakkuk's prayer. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I've heard of all the wonderful things you've done. And I'm presently just standing in awe. Like, wow, dang God, you, you demand your reputation, your, your fame is everywhere. Boom, you're God. So now I'm praying for the future. Renew them, Lord, in our day. Yeah, our day is right now, but as we continue with our days, renew them, Lord. There's a presence of, of present and future. So when you're praying, 
you're standing upon God's faithfulness in the past. You're hoping in God's faithfulness for the future and you're living right now. There's all th there's, th there's three U's in that prayer. If you can play with the metaphor for one second, there's past you who's seen God being faithful. There's future you that you're praying that, that gets to see God's faithfulness. And there's the current you in your situation right now. Now that's just a silly metaphor, but that's our faith grounded in the past, looking forward to the future and focusing on the present. Yeah, Mick texted in, God is both just and merciful. It's not an either or. In his wrath, God does not stop being merciful. His mercy is more evident because he is just. His wrath. Amen. So when you're going through your impossible situation, remember that. Remember Habakkuk's perspective. You've already gone through some impossible situations, haven't you? You've seen God be faithful. And you're in your same impossible situation. And you've got a future coming, don't you, as well? Where you're, the coming days are going to be hard. Habakkuk's coming days were 70 years are real fun in Babylon. He needed this perspective now. His people needed that perspective now. Verses, verse 1, three days. We have had our chorus. Now we get to verse 1, three to 8. Now, there's going to be some proper names in this, and it's not going to make sense to you. But an original reader, if they, let's just say they were reading, oh, I don't know, uh, let's say a history textbook, and let's say someone, let's say 2,000 years from now, gets a hold of a history textbook, talking about the 13 original colonies of the United States, and they start dropping names like Boston, or New York, or dare I say, maybe the most popular one, Philadelphia, huge, huge city names in our textbooks about our liberty. They mean so much for us. You know, as you say, Boston Tea Party, and our minds go back to what was going on back in the 1700s. Okay, that's these words right here in the text. An original reader would be hearing these words read and go, oh yeah, 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 that. That's our Philadelphia. Yeah, that's it. That's our Boston. Boom, there it is. Okay, so these may, may not make sense to you, but to an original reader, these are big names here. Here we go. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. Don't you ever forget that, by the way. He marches on forever. All right. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? So number one here, Israel's memory of God as the historical creator warrior. So Israel has two perspectives on God. The first one is he's their creator. And the second one is he's their warrior. Because remember, and I'll use uh, my son's Lego toy here as an example. It's like they're going wherever they went. They were following this pillar of fire as they were, they were going in the uh, entering in the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, entering into the promised land, the, the, the smoke or the fire. And then you had the ark and then the people followed. As long as the ark was at the beginning, as long as God was seen as it at the front, they didn't lose. It's like their God 
our God had this warrior mentality that he was going to do the fighting. God was going to do the delivering. And there, there's no way this, this fighting force, former slaves fleeing from Egypt, was going to conquer great giants like the Philistines or the Anakites, the ones that just strike fear in everybody. But God is the warrior. God does the fighting. Okay? So when we say our favorite verse, Psalm 46, 10, to be still and know that he is God, all wrapped up into that stillness is that you can be still because God's got this. Okay. Israel's memory of God as their historical creator. So Israel's reading this. The original readers are listening to this and going, yeah, yeah, God took care of business, didn't he? Yeah, our God, our God took care of his business, all these places. And in exile, people will look to God for the impossible again. I've got some notes here. Um, what was Timon and the uh, Paran Mountains? Well, they are south. They are part of the Sinai Peninsula, the same area where you get Mount Sinai. What happened to Mount Sinai? God became a husband at Mount Sinai. What? Yeah. God married Israel. He, he rescued them, and then he laid down a covenant. Think of that covenant as like a wedding vow. God became their husband. God became the one they were to turn to. He began a relationship with them. He didn't just deliver them. He began a relationship with them. He laid out the boundaries to that relationship, which were the law. You should do this, but you should not do this. It's like the very boundaries that a holy God gave to Israel. The place of Mount Sinai, the law, this was the beginning place of God leading them and protecting them as they entered the promised land. So when they entered the promised land, they first they came across the Sinai Peninsula, and then they went up. Okay, so this was, so Taman uh, and the Paran Mountains, that's like wedding vows. That, that reminds every original reader, that's right, we just left slavery. We just crossed the Sea of Reeds, or the Red Sea in our English. We just, crossed, we just got here, and there was Moses, and there was Joshua. Yeah, and then God went city by city and kicked their butt, and we followed. The Sihon and the Og, and we crossed the, the Jordan and the Jericho. We marched around those walls, didn't we? It's like the original readers singing, hearing this being sung, and they're going, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's our God, our historical creator, warrior husband of a God who loves us so much. That's how he led us. So they're going to be an exiled people very soon. And all they're going to have are these memories, this time from their past to move forward in faith. He marches on forever. You catch that in the text right there in. He marches on. He marches on. Is that in the text there? What verse is that again? Yeah, in verse 6. He marches on forever. That's our God. Think of his sovereign plan as the train moving down the tracks. Nothing's derailing that train. Nobody is derailing that train. He marches on forever. God continues. He expects you to follow. He expects you to be, be obedient. That's really great to sing, especially because Israel's God is going to lose his house real quick. Babylon's going to take all the fine stuff out of there, and then he's going to knock it to the ground. The only thing that exists today is the Western Wall. I've been there. I put a prayer in there. I believe I prayed for my unborn child while we were there. 
That was the prayer I put in. I've got a picture of my hand on the wailing wall, the Western wall. And that's not even the temple. That's part of just the temple structure, an outside wall. That temple was knocked to the ground. God's house didn't get to be God's house anymore. God is just out there like Israel or Judah was just out there. That perspective that God still marches on forever. That's a great perspective. Don't you ever forget that as you go through your impossible thing. As you go through your impossible situation, God marches on. That's verse one. Verse two of this song, nine to 13, you uncovered your bow. So I want you to think God's coming out like an archer right now, an archer that does not miss. It's like you uncovered your bow. It's on. It's like a warrior taking the sword and pulling it out of the scabbard. It's time to fight. God is uncovering the bow. He's ready. Here he is. You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one take the screen and move it down just a little bit. Now, it's real easy to read this and go, anointed one? I've been in, in enough of Joel's classes to know that's the Messiah word. Yeah? Is he talking about the Messiah? Here he's not. It's a rare opportunity for God to use anointed one and not talk about the Messiah. And it, he's done it before. It's in a couple times in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I gave one here in the, in the, the green text, Psalm 28, 8 says, the Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. So in the context of that verse, who's he talking to? His people. His people are his anointed one. We're not surprised in Exodus. Uh, who, was the, who were anointed? Well, priests, prophets, kings, and he calls his people a royal priesthood, literally a bunch of anointed ones holy to him. Okay, so it's, that's, we've had that before in the Old Testament. Normally, the anointed one speaks of a king and speaks of the Messiah. But here, his people. God cares for his people. God is sovereign over all of creation. And um, send your saving storm, Lord. Now, you got to understand, the original readers are looking at this, this second verse. The first verse, they had those great city names and the, the place names. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, those are big. Those, that, that's where God showed himself faithful. But here, it's, it's, it's different geography. It's like topographical stuff. Listen to this. Uh, think for yourself like you are an original reader, okay? Like you're back then. What would this mean to you? Um, okay. Mountains. What were some moments on a, with mountains that were God's faithfulness? Well, obviously Mount Sinai. You've got the original where uh, Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain. Okay, you've got the tablets of stone two times on the mountain. Um, great Mount Carmel with Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal. Mountains. God uses mountains in a story. Okay, there's mountains. How about torrents of water? When does God use water? Whether it is the deep, like the ocean, or like the sea, it's like God has used water. They crossed the Jordan, and I mean, wow, I mean, God has used water. God flooded the earth with torrents. I mean, here it is. And yeah, so these are just bringing up other themes of God's faithfulness. How about the sun? When in the world did God use the sun? 
Well, he stopped the sun, didn't he? To allow a battle to finish. You see, God takes care of his business. God created the sun, moon, and stars, and they sing his praises too. So an original reader is reading this here and reading all these kind of landmark things going, yeah, 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 God, yeah, this is how God takes care of his business. So God is sovereign over all creation. God even uses creation to handle his business. And Lord, send that storm again, that saving storm, number two, number four here, finding comfort in the God who is able to stride and deliver. Did you catch that? Stride, Lord. In wrath, at verse 12, in wrath you strode through the earth. Think about that for one second. What's a stride? You know, you're walking. Okay. When does God walk the earth? We have an advantage, don't we, Christian? When did God walk the earth and deliver? The great Sunday school answer, Jesus. I don't know if this is foreshadowing that salvation. That might be reading a bunch in there. But as somebody who's experienced the salvation of our almighty God through the very one who strode this earth to deliver even me, that verse means something to me. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In fact, I remember walking in the promised land and that, that, that was that thought that kept, kept in my mind. I'm thinking to myself, well, the tour guide's saying this, and here we are at this mountainside and they're saying this is where this happened here, this is where this happened there, or I'm walking down the city of Ephes or Ephesus. I'm reading Acts 19 and when Paul's getting yanked out of Ephesus and I'm thinking to myself, is this exactly where this happened? And what, what gave me pause was, I don't know but it was around here somewhere. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many places you can walk in the ancient city of Ephesus. It's one big street and some little side streets, and that's it. It's a big street, but it's just one street. Okay, so Paul was here somewhere. It's like, God, you take care of your business. You stride and you deliver. I find comfort in that. And the cool thing about this here is looking for the Savior just as much as the salvation. Why do I say that? Mick texted in here. In Christ, it's one of the ways God gets us through is by bringing to mind all he's done. Amen. Amen. That's all Habakkuk has. Can Habakkuk pray for salvation? I want you to be real here. Can he? Can he pray to God, God, deliver us from Babylon. Well, obviously he can pray that if he wants to. No one's going to stop him. How dare you? No, 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 no. He's been real with God all this time. But what's God already said? Not only is God not going to deliver, but God's at the head of that army now. And they're going to come and take care of that business. So what can Habakkuk pray for? Some of you are, are in really impossible situations. And you're looking at your life, your work life, you're looking at the, the, whatever's happened to your marriage, you're looking at your, your relationships, you're looking at your, your family, all, all these things, and you're like, boy, this is impossible. I don't know what to do. What could Habakkuk pray? You see, he couldn't pray. 
he really couldn't hope for salvation because God's already said he wasn't going to do it. But what could he hope for? He could hope for the Savior. Even when he couldn't hope for salvation or when that hope is just kind of, you know, nebulous, he could hope for the Savior. So some of you are looking at your situation and God save me, God save me, God. God may not save you. God may not deliver you from your situation. I don't know why, but that's God's choice. If that, that, that's God's choice. That's God's choice. God may not deliver you from what you're going through. No matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you, you tag in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of it. So your perspective is this. God, I'm going to pray for my salvation. I'm going to pray that you deliver me. But I'm going to go deeper, God. I'm going to pray for you. I want to seek you. I'm not praying for you like I'm praying for someone. I'm praying that I can look for you. That's the Lord's prayer. Yeah, you get the specifics, like give us this day our daily bread, but really, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for the God who reveals himself situation by situation, even if I don't like how things are revealed, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it sucks, even if it hurts. I'm not just praying for my salvation. I'm at a deeper level praying for my, to get to know my Savior. I'm looking for my Savior, not just looking for the salvation. I'm not going to reduce my relationship to God to what he gives me. That keeps me like a perpetual three-year-old. So many people are like, oh, I haven't grown in my faith. Are you wanting to get to know God or are you wanting to get to know the things of God? Look for your Savior. Don't just look for salvation. Don't just look for the things he gives you. Because that's all Habakkuk has. He can't look for salvation. But he pushes, to use a poker image, he's pushing all of his chips in the middle and saying, I'm looking for my Savior. If he, maybe he will deliver us. I don't know. I, I, I know he said he's not, but I'm just going to look for him. And I'm going to look for him. When I have no other thing to look for, I'm looking for him. Mic drop. That's how you pray. That's your faith perspective right there. If you learn nothing else from Habakkuk, look for your Savior. Don't just look for the things he gives you. Yeah, even uh, God is our, Mick texting, God has already revealed his will. Best, the best Habakkuk can pray is comfort and ultimate deliverance, like Paul's throne in the flesh, exactly right. Even Jesus prayed for God's will about his darkest hour, his hardest hour, yes. Uh, take this cup from me, Jesus prayed, but... but but thy will be done. Uh, Daniel texted in, thy will be done is hard for us. It's, it's uh, being selfish and sinful humans to say. However, it's important to remember. That's right. Thy will be done. And again, it rhymes. You're either saying my will be done, which is selfish, or thy will be done, which is humble or selfless. And that's it. So first one of verse two, look for the Savior as much of your salvation. That kind of worked me over as I typed that in there. You know, that was my impossible situation. I'll just, I'll just give my example now. That was my impossible situation today. I don't like it when my life illustrates the text I'm going to teach. It happens usually the day of, too. It's killing me. I didn't sleep very well two nights ago. I slept better last night. But I just woke up this morning exhausted. And now that both kids are, in, are, are with remote learning, it's, you know, it's just, it's just hard. I'm kind of having to oversee two different things and 
keep things on target. It was just, it was just the whole day I was just, oh, and there's things going on in, in my household and just upset people. And I, I was probably, a, you know, four or five times a jerk in my own right. And just all these things. I'm like, man, this day is just horrible. I just can't stand this day. I don't know what to do with this day. This day just stinks. I just don't know what to do. That realization in the middle of that day, at some point, this day is going to come to an end. Either I will have given God glory with this day or I will not. Either I'm showing to my kids and my wife that I'm trusting God or I am not. And by all accounts, I was not. And I was just being a jerk. This day was hard. And I'm sitting there at the, towards the end of this day, right before I, I get ready to cook dinner. I'm like, all right, Jen comes upstairs and takes the kids, you know, roller skating. I'm like, oh, great. I can now mow the lawn. I'm like I run outside, I'm out there mowing the lawn, mowing a little bit. Just like, okay, wow. This day worked out fine, didn't it? We made it. We made it to the end of this day. God, I've got a lot I need to, I need to really put on the table today. There's a lot that I was going through today, God, that I just, I need to put that out there. But there's one thing that's, that's, that stayed true. You. You stayed true. You see, in the middle of my crappy day, I really couldn't pray for deliverance. I just didn't know what to do. But in the middle of my day, I was like, God, help me. God, just, I'm just, I'm just praying, God, this day can just be, be good somehow. Somehow, some way, this day could have meaning and purpose. Somehow. I don't know how. But that was Habakkuk. That's all Habakkuk had. He really couldn't pray for deliverance, but he could look towards his Savior. That's it. That's all I had in the midst of my crummy day, which ended up not being that crummy all in all. Looking at the end of it now, I'm like, well, okay, wow. I'm looking back through the eyes of faith going, well, God, you were faithful. Look what you did. Look how you brought a bum like me. Look, look what you did, God. And yeah, Philippians 2, Mick texts in, because he humbled himself to God's will, God exalted him and is in Christ. We all struggle making the temporal bigger than the eternal. Yeah, it's a story of my life too, Mick. That's verse one and verse two. Verse three, here we go, 13. And that's, that was 13a. This is 13b here to 15. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. There's a little bit of King David there, right? Because David picked up the sword of Goliath. Okay, all right, it's, it's fine. You know, um, When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, Gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Number one, there's no situation or enemy that, that can defeat God. None. There is literally no situation that can defeat God. There is no enemy that can defeat God. Over and over and over again, Israel got to learn that. Let's see, I think for the original readers here, let me see. Yeah, the original reader would have uh, remembered some well-known historical events where God's people were helpless against an evil leader and God delivered them by defeating the enemy. What do you think salvation was in the Old Testament? It was, I have an enemy that I cannot defeat. In fact, we are going to be defeated. I have no hope at all except God. God, be my hope. Deliver me. That's Old Testament salvation. That's New Testament salvation too. Except the enemy is my own sin. I have no hope against that sin. You're my only answer, God. Deliver me. How do I know that? Because in John chapter 3, that's the image Jesus gave. When the serpents raised in the wilderness, back from the book of Numbers, 
that people were bitten by snakes and the venom was killing them all. And God said, okay, you have one chance to get saved. And that if Moses raises up this bronze serpent and you walk up to the serpent and kneel down, it's like if you go through God's specific plan for salvation and only that plan, no matter how ridiculous it might seem to you, only then could you be saved and delivered. And Jesus says, just as the serpent was raised, the son of man is going to be raised. No matter how foolish that sounds to any of you. The cross. Daniel texted in, 2020 has turned out to be a chaotic year, but we need to have faith that somehow God has a plan. And though we may not see it, we need to continue to have faith in that truth. Indeed, there's no situation or enemy that can defeat God. There's no evil that persists can ultimately stand against God. Now, verse 15 here is a little weird. Habakkuk kind of went chaotic here. He, he, went, he kind of went, you trampled the sea with your horses, turning the great waters. Okay, so Habakkuk is bringing up symbols. In fact, you may be, you may be a, an Old Testament scholar in your spare time. And you remember reading some characters in the Old Testament you didn't understand. One of them is called Rahab. I don't mean the woman in Jericho. You know, the prostitute turned gold kind of thing. Okay, no, 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 not her. Like Rahab, okay, in, in, in the Hebrew. Rahab is kind of like this cosmic force. There's this, this enemy that is pulled out and played kind of like, it's like he's, he's in, um, you'll hear Rahab, and Rahab has like, has like a little dragon guy named Leviathan. Okay, you might remember them. They're kind of like the cosmic enemies of God in the same way you might say like a Satan rebelling against. Okay, so it's like, and God defeats them too. You'll see this in some of the, in the more the obscure poetry of the book of Job or some of the more obscure Psalms. God, you defeated Rahab. You conquered. In fact, by the time of Jesus, that's one of the reasons why the disciples were freaked out when they were on in the middle of Sea of Galilee because of Rahab and Leviathan, and the cosmic deep, okay? They were terrified of the ocean and the deep underneath the ocean, okay? The deep, dark, that we don't really get to know what it's all about till we get Jacques Cousteau 2,000 years later. They were terrified of the deep. And the boat was going to be, be caught up in the storm and they were going to drown and they were freaking out because the deep symbolized all that chaos, that evil chaos that was opposed to God. The Rahab, the Leviathan, the, the deep, Okay, that's where Habakkuk's going here. It's like, God, you not only conquered every evil warlord that came to kind of kick our butt, you took care of them, but you conquered evil itself. Even at a cosmic level, we get a sense of this in the New Testament where they talk about Jesus parading the principalities in like a Roman pro pro profession or procession. God only, not only defeated sin and death, but even there, you defeated sin and death. Those are categories. Where, O oh, death, is your victory in 1 Corinthians? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Think of it like that. Like on more of a topical or cosmic level, not just a specific enemy, but like cosmic evil itself. You'll see this in like, um, in like Daniel, where, um, where the angels are coming to Daniel and they, he got hindered by this prince. And you've got... Just like in Revelation, where you've got each of these cities has an angel kind of backing the city, you've got these evil kings with like a, a, an angel or a demonic angel kind of backing them. It's like all the evil things of this world have a source, and that source is not God. They're backed, and, and, and they're, um, 
they're driven by that. Think of that cosmically when you're thinking of this verse here. You trample the sea with your horses. An original reader is going, oh, the sea. You trample the sea. You don't ride horses in the middle of the sea. What is he talking about? You can't take that literally. You trample the sea, really? Oh, but you can if you conquered the great sea, like poetic sea, chaotic monster that they, yeah, you conquered. That's right, God, you conquered. And you get a sense of this even in Genesis 1, the chaos of the deep. And it's like even, it's, it's like, it's a very cosmic way to look at God. Like God is not just one who conquers his enemies, but he conquered the enemy. You trample the sea with your horses. Yeah, that's kind of where that's going there. And then he, Habakkuk went there, okay, which would have meant something to Habakkuk's people who were going to have to sit there in 70 years of captivity looking up and seeing Nebuchadnezzar and a bunch of his other bozos in line ruling everybody. Where are you at now, God? You didn't conquer him, God. Yeah, but God conquered evil. Just wait. Just wait. So on the cross, Jesus didn't just conquer. You want, to, you want to say he conquered Satan? Fine. He didn't just conquer Satan. He conquered sin. That's a category. He conquered our Rahab. He conquered our Leviathan. Yeah, Daniel texted in a, uh, a good comment. Jesus walked on water. How could not trample the sea? Yeah, we didn't have that yet. And that's uh, may, maybe that is trampling the sea with your horses. Maybe that poetically Jesus did that. Jesus conquered the sea by walking. Very well. That's, that's a great midrash of this text. Well done. And uh, I've never thought of that before, but you know, next time I'm in, the, in that part of the gospels, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember Habakkuk chapter three, verse 15. Sing that song of faith and hope even before evil's end. Evil still has his day. And Habakkuk's listeners, maybe, maybe a few readers, but mostly listeners, they got to see evil on the throne for 70 years. And then a little bit of time. And then Rome. And then a little bit of time. And then Hitler. And then a little bit of time. And then now. Evil is always on the throne. The throne of this earth. But it's been defeated. Individually and cosmically. Let's get to the bridge. Mm. 16 and 19. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Well, gosh, Joel, I thought you said this is a great statement of faith. Seriously? This sounds kind of morbid. This sounds like something that you'd expect like a, someone going to a funeral. You know, seriously, decay crept into my bones? I mean, is there faith here? Okay, I interrupted myself. Shut up, Joel, and read the text. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet. Ooh. This is like lamentations, kids. All these things going on, but great is thy faithfulness. This is that moment. This is that moment. Yet. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. He knows only bad news is coming. He's watching on the walls. He said, God, why do you tolerate this nonsense? Why, 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 why? And God said, you think this is bad? 
your, your horrible culture right now, the Jehoiachim on the throne, all that kind of stuff, the, the injustice, you think that's bad? Guess who I'm going to send? We're going to show you bad. And then guess this and this and this. And why, God? Why? All Habakkuk can do is wait for this day of calamity to come. Here he is. It's all he's got. He's going to wait patiently. Because maybe this day is going to come even on the nation invading us. Maybe they're going to get their day too. Yes. Yes. That's my hope. That one day God's going to fully and finally take care of these bozos. Yeah, we got to put up with it for 70 stinking years. But I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait with faith that evil is going to get its due. That God's going to provide. And that's Israel. They're waiting for that great day of the Lord where they're finally, they're down, they're finally going to get reversed. That's Simon the Zealot, one of, one of Jesus' boys. He probably was pushing back against Jesus the whole time for three years. He's a zealot. He's wanting Israel to get its reversal, finally to be on top again. When's it going to happen? He's going to wait patiently. And here it comes. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive, tree, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Pause. We experienced some of that with our COVID, didn't we? We were worried about things. Oh, am I going to be able to buy toilet paper? Am I going to be able to get peanut butter? Am I going to be able to go to the store? Am I going to be, are the shelves? Remember the early days of COVID when the shelves were empty? When you braved, you went to the store, like, oh, geez, nothing's on the shelves. I got to go buy, you know, you know, I don't know, tuna. Or I got to go get something that no one's buying. Like, I, I got to make meals out of like sardines. Or what am I going to do? The meat section in your, in your supermarket has like nothing. And some meat sections still don't have a lot of stuff. Yeah, Mick texted and At least Simon the Zealot didn't betray. Yeah, we, we can't beat on him too much. He didn't. You're right. Some of the stuff Habakkuk's talking about, we kind of got a feeling of. And the more terrified of us, we're going, oh, life's never going to change. We're never going to get stuff back again. We're never going to have food. We're never going to be able to buy toilet paper. And, and, yeah, that's changed. You can buy toilet paper now. You're good. It's like life has kind of come back a bit. But in Habakkuk says, all the things he mentioned, the grapes, remember they are an agrarian society. Their entire economy is farm and the things of the farm. So basically Habakkuk saying, though everything just go to pot, everything is done. We got no food. We've got no economy. We have no crops. We've got nothing, nothing. A terrifying, a terrifying verse. What if we have nothing? What if everything failed? You've got to understand, that was the reason why they were tempted to pray to the Baals. Because Baal was the lightning god. Baal was the lightning. What does lightning do? It comes from heaven and it strikes the earth. It's a great symbol in the ancient world of fertility. you got to pray to Baal so you get your next crops. I know, I know I'm God's guy. I'm not Baal's guy. But you know what? I'm going to pray to Baal too because I, I want to have good crops next year. And maybe if I toss some prayers his way, maybe I'll have a good crop. That was a temptation right here in Habakkuk 3. All the crops have failed. It's done. It's done. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music. On my stringed instruments. I found only one statement of faith better in the entire Old Testament than that. It's on your page. It comes from the three guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Rakshak and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, and this is going to come a couple years later, then Habakkuk. So I kind of like to think that maybe these guys, raised at their mother's knee and raised with their grandmother's faith, maybe these guys who are going to say these words, might have remembered 70 years prior hearing from some guy named Hug and his great statement of faith, because they give a great one. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver from it, deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Here's a back in three. Here it is. But even if he does not, I'm not a tattoo guy. But if I was, that's one of my tats in the Hebrew, somewhere on my chest. But even if he does not, I got another but word. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. But God. I was dead in my sins, but God in, my, in his grace and mercy made me alive again. I got two I got two butt verses as my song, as my tattoos, or as a tattoo guy. But even if he does not, wow, that's faith. We want you to know, O King, we're not going to worship your image or gods or none of that stuff. Throw us in that furnace. God's got this. Maybe they were giving King Nebuchadnezzar some Habakkuk chapter 3. Maybe they're doing what Habakkuk wanted them to do. Sing that song that Habakkuk, as he watches on the walls, was waiting for. He's writing this verse down with no hope but his Savior. No hope for salvation, just the Savior. He writes this down because God told him to write it down in chapter 2 and preserve it for the people. And then a few years later, Nebuchadnezzar has an image in a fiery furnace and these three guys. Maybe they remember they're right back in three. You remember Habakkuk three. Remember this closing thought in our text. Seven to ten here. Habakkuk says, I have heard. And I'm afraid. So what? You're afraid? I'm afraid, God. I don't know what life's going to bring, God. Life keeps getting harder, God. Our society stinks, God. Everybody is against each other, God. That's a Habakkuk story. Is that your story? I've heard. I'm afraid. Yet I will wait. Wow. I will wait, God. All these things can happen, but yet I'm going to rejoice. 
And then get this. Don't miss this last verse here. The sovereign Lord is my strength. God is sovereign. Nine and ten here. God is sovereign. When we say God is sovereign, we're really saying God's got this. But then Habakkuk went personal. He makes my feet, Habakkuk says. He makes it personal. He makes my feet. So God is sovereign. He's got this. But God is my strength. He not only has this, God's got me. He's going to provide. God continues to care for me. Yeah. Mick texts in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reminds me of the disciples in Acts 4 when they saw Peter and John. The beautiful thing that they had most of is to reflect on all that God has done. Yep. I've heard your fame, God. Amen. You see, faith is a mix of the already and the not yet. If you claim to be a person of faith, you are basing that faith upon God's faithfulness. Not upon your own faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Your faith, God's faithfulness. Our God is faithful because he has been faithful and we trust his word that he will continue to be faithful. There's already and not yet. Your salvation is already, but it's also not yet in a full and final sense. Not yet. We have to wait for evil to finally be finished for one day and done and history is over. Hope depends upon God's faithfulness. Your hope, if you're a person of hope, it depends on God's faithfulness. You have to take God at his word, at his word. You do. And really, you're, you're trusting in the Bible, but your, your trust is deeper than the Bible. Because the Bible is not a person. You trust in a person. Yeah, I can trust in the chair when I sit down. Fine. But you're, you're trusting more than just the Bible. You're trusting the author of the Bible. The very God who's given his word. When you're facing your impossible situations... In my impossible situation, didn't seem that impossible in hindsight. In the moment, I was freaking out. I was having a really hard day. Every little thing was, was just upsetting me. And every little thing was just making it worse. I'm like, I'm never going to get to the end of this day. That's silly. We all have days like that. We look back and go, geez, I really was like that. Or boy, that really. Yeah, we have those kind of days. Daniel texted in, just like my righteousness and my faithfulness is like filthy rags. I'd be a fool to trust in it. That's exactly the point. We can't trust in ourselves. And that puts us differently than the secular world, which demands that we trust ourselves. That we find the answer within ourselves. And if you find the answer outside of yourself, you're a fool because only you are the one that's not going to let you down. Something like that. Hope depends upon God's faithfulness. So what's it going to be? Habakkuk has nothing but God. Nothing but God. His hope is just that God will do something. And whatever God does is perfect and the best thing to do. Because he just had this general hope of the remnant passing on and the remnant making it through. By that time, maybe he heard of Jeremiah's word that it was going to be 70 years and that God was going to give them. Maybe there's going to be, I've got plans for you, Jeremiah 29, a hope in a future. Maybe that might have crossed Habakkuk's ears. I don't know. Jeremiah was alive then. I mean, there was that was possible, but... But yeah, I don't know. But I like that I don't know. 
because that means that all Habakkuk had was the very God he talked to. That's all we have too. But we have his word as well. We, we, we know how, how God's going to handle his business in a general sense. But when we, when we don't know things, when we go through our impossible days, we turn to our faithful God. Even if, even if, just remember, yet, there's that, uh, that's a horrible example, but why not? Uh, that movie, Moulin Rouge, there's that song at the end. Come what may, that's it. Love, love for them was just come what, whatever's going to come, I'm going to love. Come what may, come what may, I'm going to love you to my dying day. There it is. There's a memory in my mind. There it is. Come what may. Are you going to have that kind of love? Are you going to have that kind of faithfulness to God? What's it going to be? Are you going to have the Habakkuk kind of faith? Even when life sucks and everything is just going to pot, you've got nothing but God. Is that enough? I can't wait to find out how we're going to be taught next week. We're done with Habakkuk now. And I can't wait to get into the book of Judges the following week. It's good stuff. I'll see you in two weeks. God bless you guys.